Amen. All right. Tonight we're going to be beginning a new series. It's going to be taking place on Sunday evenings, and it's going to be on the subject of end times Bible prophecy. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be touching on each week a different subtopic that would be related to a different category of uh, the topic of end times. Now, of course, this is given you know the recent events and things that are happening right now in our day and age, and I think it's good that we as a church are familiar uh, with the book of Revelation and what is going to take place in the end times, what end times Bible prophecy is. Now, do I know 100% sure, 100% for a fact that Jesus Christ is going to come back as far as the rapture is going to take place in my lifetime? Of course not. Is it possible that this is just, you know, maybe another uh, uh, just hiccup in history, maybe another depression or whatever comes out of this, maybe it ends up not even being that terribly bad. Is that possible? Yes. It is possible, of course. It's very possible. I mean, uh, a lot of people when uh, Hitler was around, they thought that Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. But even still, even if it's not, now I don't personally believe that, that if this is not going to be the time in which the tribulation begins and that you know uh, uh, the wheels have not been set in motion now, I personally don't believe that it's, that it's going to take place you know, uh, another 100 or 200 years. I think that it is, it is coming very soon. I think that the events of the book of Revelation will come in our lifetime. But even still, I don't know that. And nevertheless, even if it does come in 100 to 200 years, we need to be familiar with <coughs> excuse me, end times Bible prophecy. We need to know what's coming. We need to be aware of the signs of the times. We need to be aware of, of how we can identify certain things that are happening and so that we are not taken off guard, so that we are prepared. We need to know the Bible. Now, if you look in Revelation chapter number 1, I quoted this to you last week when I preached on the subject of end times Bible prophecy and what's going on in our world right now. And uh, if you look there in Revelation <coughs> chapter number 1, look at me at verse number 1. It says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, then watch this, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So notice that the, the purpose of the book of Revelation is to reveal these things that are shortly going to come to pass. God wants us to know the things in the book of Revelation. Why? So that we can be aware of the things that are going to be coming to pass shortly. At some point, it is pertinent that those that are alive at the time of the tribulation, just before the rapture, that they be familiar with the scriptures. They need, it is necessary for them to have the Bible and the knowledge of the Bible so that they know what is going to be taking place. So I think it's important given the events, given the times and things that have taken place, that we right now make sure that we are very familiar. We are very familiar with the events of the end times as far as what the Bible prophesies is what is going to take place. So that we are aware and we are prepared of what is going to happen. Now, uh, this evening sermon, I'm going to be preaching on the subject of identifying the Antichrist. Identifying the Antichrist. Obviously, the Antichrist plays a major role in end times Bible prophecy. And if you go back to Revelation chapter number 6, he is actually what kicks off the tribulation. <coughs> Now, this is not, let me make sure I make this very clear, and I'm going to touch on this again, but uh, right now, let me make sure that I make this clear at the very beginning. 
Here in Revelation chapter number 6, in the very beginning, when this white horse, which is the Antichrist, is set loose, this is not the revelation of the Antichrist. People are not going to be aware that he is the Antichrist at this point. And I am going to touch on that a little bit more uh, later in the sermon. I want you to look with me here, though, at Revelation chapter number 6. We're just going to read over these verses and compare it with another passage and then come back to it. Look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. It says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals... And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the, the four beasts sang, Come and see. Verse 2. And I saw and behold a white horse. <clears throat> so notice he sees a white horse and then it says this. And he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So what I'm going to be doing, I don't know where that bulletin went. Maybe I carried it. Here it is. What I'm going to be doing, slide a bulletin or a piece of paper, maybe just your finger if you'd like, in there to Revelation chapter number 6. We're going to be going back to Revelation 19. What I'm going to be doing for you is we're going to be going through all the passages that discuss the Antichrist. And this is going to be more so on a rudimentary level, more basic. Uh, I want to do a more exhaustive study on the Antichrist later, so we're definitely going to be coming back to him. But this is going to be basic. We're just starting out. So uh, this is going to be, as I said, rudimentary or elementary. I just want to give you some of the identifiers or some of the characteristics that people will a lot of times misunderstand, misconstrue, and then uh, confuse, uh, have a little bit of confusion about what the Antichrist is going to be like. What is he going to look like? How is he going to act? Go over to Revelation chapter number 19. <coughs> Revelation chapter number 19. Now, let me tell you this. What does Antichrist mean? Right before we read here in Revelation chapter number 19, I want to give you the definition of the word Antichrist. Now, the primary definition of the word Antichrist means against Christ or opposed to Christ. Now, I've heard it said that the definition of Antichrist is not at all opposed to or against Christ and that the prefix there, anti, has a little bit of a different meaning than our prefix today, anti. I don't agree with that and I'm going to show you why and I'm going to define it from the Bible. I believe that the, the uh, 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 compound word, the title Antichrist, means against Christ. Referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is against the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it has a secondary meaning or a secondary definition when it says anti. The word anti or the prefix anti also does mean in place of. And this is a major identifier of the Antichrist. And that is that he is an imitator. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, probably his number one identifying characteristic is that he is going to try to be an imitator. He is going to try to be the Christ. He is going to emulate the Christ, or he is going to try to imitate the Christ. I want you to look at, <coughs> excuse me, Revelation chapter number 19. Look at verse number 11. Here's the record of when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Now, does that sound familiar right there, that exact phrase? These are called trigger phrases or trigger words in the Bible that bring things to your remembrance. This is exactly what we just read in Revelation chapter number 6. It said, and behold, a white horse. Those exact words. Look at what it says next. 
And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now, what did it say in Revelation chapter number 6 that the man that sat on the white horse went to go do? It said that he went forth to conquer and to con uh, went forth conquering and to conquer. What was he doing? He was going forth judging and doing what? And making war. He was causing war. Now, if we were to keep reading down in Revelation 6 of the, of the consequent, or, or the subsequent, I'm sorry, the subsequent seals that were opened, the very next seal is the seal which talks about <coughs> war, how peace is taken from the earth. That's because when he went forth conquering and to conquer, the Antichrist was making war. He was causing there to be war. Notice the similarities between now the Antichrist and the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep reading. Look at what it says next in verse number 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, <coughs> excuse me, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Now, there we have another characteristic, another similarity or parallel with the Antichrist. If you were to notice, it says that he has on his head many crowns. What specifically did it say that the Antichrist was wearing? He had a crown on his head. He went forth to make war. He was riding a white horse. They're arrayed in white. And what else? It says that he has a crown on his head. So these are striking and very strong similarities between the two. We can see here in the book of Revelation, this at the coming of the Antichrist and then the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is trying to show you that when the Antichrist comes, his whole goal and his main uh, identifying characteristic is that he is going to try to imitate Christ. That is the main characteristic of the Antichrist is that he wants to be Christ. He's going to try to be the Christ. I want you to go with me. Actually, I'll just read to you because... <coughs> This is true of the devil himself just on a grander scale. Just from the devil himself, this is what the, the devil desires. Is he desires to be God. Isaiah chapter number 14 verse number 12 says this, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, this is Lucifer, this is the devil or Satan. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. That's talking about Jerusalem. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man? I want you to, to notice that. Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake the kingdoms? Now we're going to come back to a couple of elements from Isaiah chapter number 14 later. But that was talking about Lucifer. Now Lucifer, of course, is Satan. <clears throat> Uh, uh, he is an angel of light. Satan is, is described as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians, uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. The, the, the phrase, or I'm sorry, not the phrase, but the title Lucifer actually means light bearer. And that, that, uh, that beginning of that word, the prefix of that word, L-U-C, loose there, is actually like where our word comes from, lumen, right? Or to illuminate. So we have words that derive from the, Latin, the same Latin word and related to the same Latin word that just mean light, right? So what it's saying is that he, he, is a, uh, he is the angel of light. Lucifer was the angel of light. This is referenced in 
2 Corinthians chapter number 10. So we know that that speaking of Satan is my point. Because people will try to say, oh, that's not talking about the devil. That's, you know, that's not a prophecy at all. Obviously, there's an immediate application, but it's clearly referencing to the devil and to Satan. And I'm going to uh, show you the, the prophetic uh, uh, um, uh, truths hidden in there in just a moment. But I want you to notice that Satan desires to be God. That's important. Satan wants to be God. He desires to be God. Well, the same thing is, is true of the Antichrist. He desires to be the Christ. He wants to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to be the true Christ. I want you to go now back to Revelation chapter number 6. Revelation chapter number 6. And let's look at these characteristics one more time. <clears throat> Revelation chapter number 6, verse number 2, it says, And I saw, and behold, a white horse. So we see the white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, has a sword, and it proceeds out of his mouth. Then it says, And a crown was given unto him. It's important to notice that it's given to him. Someone is giving him power. But he has a crown, right? Just like the Lord Jesus Christ had crowns. It says, And he went forth conquering and to conquer. So here he looks like the Christ. I want you to go, if you will, to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 now. We're going to look at some other identifying characteristics of the Antichrist. <coughs> so the description, is, the description is so similar, it's very similar because he's trying to mimic or he's trying to impersonate the Christ. He wants to be the Christ. Just like the devil wants to be God, the Antichrist wants to be the Christ. Now, what's interesting about this is we can find the truth of the devil's subtlety hidden in this as well. When the Antichrist comes and he is deceiving people and saying that he is the Christ, he is going to be very believable. We as Christians, we're so familiar with the Bible. We know the Bible so well. You know, <coughs> I'm sure that you can relate to this because this is how I feel. But the, the idea of a man trying to come and convince me that he's the Christ sounds ridiculous. Which, to Christians, it will be. Christians will not be deceived. But let me say this. He will be very, very believable. He will be extremely be believable. The devil is very subtle. And this is we see that hidden truth here with him looking almost identical to the Christ when he comes back. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you. When the Antichrist shows up, he's not, it's not going to be just super, super obvious. Now, Christians will be aware. Christians will not follow the voice of a stranger. We only follow the voice of the shepherd. But it will be very believable and it will be very deceptive. Matthew chapter number 24, verse number 24 says this, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So when the Antichrist comes, he is going to be extremely subtle and he's going to be very, very manipulative. And he's going to be, it is going to be extremely believable. I want you to look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, we get <coughs> some more truths or identifiers about the uh, Antichrist there. In 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, <coughs> this is an end times chapter here. We'll just begin reading there in verse number 1. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, nor be troubled, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, 
as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. Now notice this strong warning. Why is he warning so strongly? Because there's going to be people that are going to come before the time of Christ coming and Christ's return that are going to say, hey, I'm the Christ. Look at what it says next. <coughs> For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Now that's an apostasy. People are going to apostatize and liberalize in their Christianity. And then it says this, and that the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So right there in verse number 3, that is speaking about the Antichrist. Now, <coughs> I have here some of the different names that we're going to look at all of these tonight while we go through the Bible studying the Antichrist. Some of the different names by which the Antichrist goes, goes by. He's referred to as, or titles, the Antichrist, the Beast, Son of Perdition, uh, Prince, Man of Sin, and then in this very chapter he's called That Wicked, and then A Little Horn. He's also referred to as by the title Little Horn. Now right here we see him referred to as That Man of Sin. That Man of Sin be revealed the Son of Perdition. Now the most popular or famous title that we refer to the Antichrist by is probably uh, 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 the, the, the least clear one that refers to him as the Antichrist, which I personally believe is definitely calling him the Antichrist, but, and I'll show you why here in just a moment, uh, but it's, it's one of the, the least clear titles that are given to him. There is also, a, yeah, I did uh, read that one, the Beast, that's probably the most obvious one that he's referred to as, over and over, and, and most common and frequent in the Bible, he's called the beast over and over again in a specific chapter about the Antichrist. Now, here if you look at verse number 4, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. I want you to pick back up there in verse number 4. Notice what it says. It says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Now I want you to notice what it says that he does. What is a, an identifying characteristic of the Antichrist here? This is very important. It says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Right? So wh what does anti mean? Do you remember <coughs> what I said? The definition of even today our word anti. If something is anti whatever, that prefix means against or opposed to. Now, right here, the Bible is the best dictionary. So if somebody tries to convince you that anti means something else, they're not getting that from the Bible. And, and actually, I looked that up, and the only place that I could find that is in Greek lexicon. So I think that this person got that from a Greek lexicon, or from maybe that's what they said that this particular prefix meant at the time of the Greek of the Texas Receptus. But if I use my English King James Bible... And I look at what he's referred to as, right here we see the Antichrist when specifically giving him titles, being called he who opposeth and exalteth himself. That makes perfect sense with the title Antichrist because he is opposing and exalting himself against all that is called God or above all that is called God or that is worship. So there we see him being uh, uh, perfectly referred to as the Antichrist. Now, <clears throat> furthermore, we have those titles. The Man of Sin. So obviously he's going to be a very wicked man. The Man of Sin. And then he's called the Son of Perdition. So he's going to be a very evil man. And he's the Son of Perdition. Now, perdition means destruction. That's what the word perdition means. So he's the Son of 
destruction. If you skip down to verse number 8, it says this, And then shall that wicked be revealed. So notice what he's called here as well, that wicked. So he's obviously an extremely evil man. He's the man of sin. Like that's what he's born out of or that's what he came out of kind of is how it's worded there. And he's also that wicked. So it's obviously an extremely evil man. If it's not enough to call him the Antichrist where he is literally titled something that is against the Christ, it's, you know, it goes forward and goes further than that and refers to him as that wicked and the man of sin. Now in verse number 4, uh, right here we're given another characteristic about the Antichrist. And again, I want to hit on this as I touched on it right in the very beginning of the sermon. Right here, he is declaring himself to be God. Now this is the actual revelation of him as the Antichrist. This is not... Uh, uh, the same exact timing or concurrent with Revelation chapter 6 verse 2 when that white horse goes forward. And I'm going to go through the timing of all of this in another sermon. But in Revelation chapter 6 verse 1 and 2 when that white horse goes forward, that's the very beginning of when the Antichrist goes on his, his uh, uh, conquest of conquering different nations and conquering different countries. He is, has not revealed himself as the Antichrist, or he has not went into you know, uh, uh, the, the uh, temple and declared himself to be God yet. That is, that is yet to take place. But if you look here at verse number 4, another identifying characteristic of him is that he will one day declare himself to be God. Now I've heard people oppose this, but let's read it one time and see what it looks like it says. It says this, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Now, if <coughs> that which is called God, right, the Lord, right, if someone exalts themselves above the Lord, what are they calling themselves? If they're, if they're lifting themselves up above God, who are they referring to themselves as or who are they calling themselves? What, what makest thou thyself? The Lord, obviously. You would make yourself God. If you are exalting yourself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so any God anywhere that's called God, you're saying you're above all of them. Do you know what you're saying in that sense? Another The way the Bible words that is God of gods or Lord of lords. It's very silly to try to say that the Antichrist is not going to say that he is God. He is lifting himself up, it says here, above every God. So what would that make him? He would be the God of gods. He's saying that he is the ultimate Lord or God or you know, whatever you want to refer to as powerful being. That's what he is saying that he is. Now, notice it says, or that is worshipped. Why? Because the Antichrist is going to demand worship also at this time. God is who receives worship. So this is very clear that he is going to declare himself to be God. It says, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. And then it goes forward and says this, so that he as God, notice that, as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself, watch this, that he is God. Now I've heard people say that he's just showing himself this. No, what that means is he's showing to others that he is God. It's just a different type of wording that the King James Bible uses. But what he's doing right now is this is a declaration to the world. He is proclaiming himself to be God. Notice also what he does here. Now, now what's interesting is that <coughs> the Antichrist, the son of perdition, right? The, 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 the man of sin, the wicked one, 
He wants to be the Christ. But notice here in this chapter who he is wanting to be and who he is trying to be. And who is he exalting himself above? And he's called the Antichrist. He's exalting himself above God. Why is that? Well, he's trying to be in place of the Christ. And who is Christ? Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is God. The Lord Jesus Christ is God, so it makes perfect sense that he, as the Antichrist, wanting to be the Christ, he goes into the temple of God, and then he sits in the place where who is supposed to sit? God, where the Lord is supposed to sit, where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to reign from, and he is taking the place of, or trying to be in, in the place of, God, while being what? While being the Antichrist. So notice that it is also true that we would refer to him as the Antichrist because he wants to be in place of the Christ. But it's also true, uh, uh, you know, our common definition today in our vernacular that he is opposed to the Christ, he's against the Christ. That's a clear definition of Antichrist here in this particular chapter. Now, there's a lot of other stuff that I'm not going to be touching on right at this moment because there's going to be, you know, numerous different uh, uh, um, episodes within this series where I'm going to go through the abomination of desolation, which is referred to there where, you know, he sets up, you know, uh, something in uh, the temple and the sanctuary at that time. So uh, if you're curious about that, I'll get to that at other moments and kind of, you know, put all the pieces of the puzzle together but just one at a time. I want to read to you the other times that Antichrist is used in the Bible so you're familiar with that word. <coughs> it's actually found four times in the Bible and it's the four times are three times in 1 John and one time in 2 John. It says this in 1 John 2.18. Keep in mind, Antichrist means against. 1 John 2.18, little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Now I want you to notice that Antichrist shall come. How many is that? Is that one or many? That's just one, right? Antichrist shall come. As ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. So there's going to be an Antichrist, a single Antichrist that shall come. Then he says this, even now are there many Antichrists. In, or I'm sorry, many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 22, just four verses later, it says this, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Now notice it gives you the definition of an antichrist here. And it's he that denieth the Father and the Son. Now, <coughs> what are you doing when you're denying something? You're against it. You're opposed to it, right? You are against that particular thing. You're denying it, right? It's denial. It's opposing something. You're opposing that he is the Christ. Notice here, even in these verses, we can find the definition of why they are referred to as an antichrist because they are rejecting or denying or opposing Jesus Christ. Now, uh, 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 3, it says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. So, of course, they're rejecting that Jesus, Jesus is the Christ, but they believe in another Christ. It says, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it, is it in the world. Uh, 2 John uh, verse 7 says this, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. So those are all the times that the word antichrist is used in the Bible. I want you to go to Daniel chapter number 7. Daniel chapter number 7. Now, from Daniel chapter 7 to Daniel 11, 
the, the character of the Antichrist is discussed quite a bit. <clears throat> Daniel chapter number 7, the book of Daniel, Daniel 7 through 11, gives us a lot of details that the book of Revelation does not give us of the end times. Um, here we're going to look at Daniel chapter number 7, verse number 7. The Bible says this, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And then it says this, And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now, this is the beast that is described in the book of Revelation. Look at verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man. And then it says this, and a mouth speaking great things. Now get Revelation chapter number 13 in your other hand, in your right hand. Revelation chapter number 13. This is going to be another characteristic or an identifying uh, 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 characteristic of the Antichrist. And it is that the, uh, the Antichrist is going to be very charismatic. He's going to flatter that phrase is actually used to describe him. We'll see that here in a minute. But he's going to be a flatterer. He's going to be a very good speaker. He's going to be very charismatic. Now, man is able to be extremely charismatic at times. You know, man, you know, just mankind in general and men <coughs> in the past have literally, you know, uh, different, different men that will start cults and they will just get people to believe the craziest things. There's all different types of examples of this. I mean, if you look at Hitler for an example, he literally, you know, mesmerized and manipulated an entire nation to where people were willing to die for him. And if you've ever looked at, you may not be able to understand what he's saying, but if you ever looked at some of the footage of Adolf Hitler when he's and it's and it's like preaching. Has anybody ever seen when Adolf Hitler's talking to him? He's literally preaching. It's not how Donald Trump addresses the United States, even slightly. He stands up before them, he's slamming on his podium, his pulpit, he's yelling and throwing his hands in the air, and it will pan the 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 the, the scene and, and all of the people that are listening, and you can tell that the people are mesmerized. The people are rooting and screaming, they are encaptivated by this man's personality. And that would be a person that was referred to as being charismatic. There's been many people throughout history that just have the gift of being able to speak great things and being able to be a great flatterer to where they can get masses, yay, millions of people in some cases to follow them to do whatever they want. That is exactly how the Antichrist is going to be. Now, it is stressed and emphasized the ability that he is going to be able to do this. He is going to be able to get everyone to follow him and to listen to him. That's why I said a moment ago, don't think in your mind that this guy is just going to be this bumbling fool. No, he's going to be a very, very talented, a very, very skilled, powerful individual. And he's going to have a great mouth. He's going to have an ability to speak and to cause people to listen to him like no man before him. Look at this in Revelation chapter number 13. I want you to look with me at Revelation chapter number 13. Look at verse number 5. It says this, And there was given unto him <coughs> a mouth speaking great things, 
and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and 2 months. So here, Revelation chapter 13. Go ahead and leave your bulletin there and go back to Daniel chapter number 7. Revelation chapter 13 is the chapter of the beast. That is the passage about the beast. And uh, this will be important in just a moment. The beast is the system of the end times government. It is basically the system. It is the city. That same beast is the... the um it is where the woman, the harlot, of course, is riding. So it's the location. Uh, Jerusalem is going to be, I believe, the location of the central hub, if you will, of this government or of this system. Now, the beast itself is doubled. So it is used for the system of government, the one world government. The beast is but it, the kingdom, let's refer to it as the kingdom because that's the Bible language. So the beast is the kingdom which reigns over the whole world, right? But then also the beast is the man. And this oftentimes is found throughout the Bible because the man or the leader is what will symbolize the city or the kingdom itself. And that's what's going, that's what's taking place there. So sometimes when you read in Revelation 13, yes, it's about the kingdom, but it's also about the man at the same time simultaneously because the man is what runs the kingdom the man is what makes all the decisions he has the power and pulls the string of everything in the kingdom so notice there it said that he was given a great mouth <clears throat> just like it says here in Daniel chapter number seven and this will come up again it says he had the eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great thanks I want you to go now with me to uh, Daniel chapter number 8. Flip over to Daniel chapter number 8, just the very next chapter. And we'll see the Antichrist discussed again. We're not going to get the context of all of these. Uh, if you'd like to look them up and verify that it's about the Antichrist, you can do so uh, <coughs> uh, later. We're not going to do that right now just for sake of time. But look at Daniel chapter number 8, verse number 8. It says this, Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable horns toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came forth a little horn. Now that was exactly what it was referred to as in Daniel chapter number 7. A little horn. So here again, <coughs> a little horn, it says this, which waxed exceeding great. So notice he grew or he became exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Now watch verse 11. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down and a host was given him against the... Or I'm sorry... Yeah, and an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. And it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. So notice that he, when he goes forth to conquer, like we saw in Revelation chapter number 16, when that begins, he is going to be very successful. He is going to be a... Uh, a, 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 a warrior. So he is going to be a conqueror. This is also an identifying characteristic of this man. He is going to be a warrior himself. He is going to be a conqueror, a general, if you will, himself. Remember that he had a bow in Revelation chapter number 6. Here we see him going forward and he's waxing exceeding great. So when we see a man that is going, you know, going around and he is conquering the entire world, he's going from, you know, country to country, notice that that's the idea. It says that he waxed exceeding, excuse me, great, 
toward the south and toward the east, and then it says, and toward the pleasant land. That's, of course, Jerusalem. So he's waxing great. He's growing in strength and in power. This is going to be a successful uh, warrior is what he is going to be. And then we see that, that in verse number 11, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. Uh, so that would reference us back to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 as we read before. Now look at verse number 23. <clears throat> verse number 23, it says this, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, watch this, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. That's these are very interesting details. These are going to be distinguishing characteristics of this man. And it says that he's going to have a fierce countenance. He's going to be someone that when you look at him, he has a very strong, almost aggressive countenance. And there are people like this. When you see them, they look very, very like a very strong person. They have a very strong look about them. Almost like they're just mad all the time, but a very powerful look. That's how this man is going to be. He's going to have a very fierce countenance. Not only that, it says that he understands dark sentences. What's being described is that he's going to be a very intelligent man. He understands a lot of things that a lot of people don't understand. He understands difficult things, dark sentences. He's going to be an intelligent man. That's kind of the general way of understanding that. Verse number 24, And his power shall be mighty. Now watch this, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. So you should have your bulletin there in Revelation chapter number 13. Go back to Revelation chapter number 13 and look with me at verse number 2. The Bible says this, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. Then it says this, And the dragon... That's the devil. Gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So notice that the dragon, that Satan, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. <coughs> well, there in, in Daniel chapter number 8, verse number 24, it says, And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Why? Because it's the dragon that tells us in Revelation 13. It's the dragon that gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. So the devil is the one that handed him all of this power and all of these abilities. Notice that it, it describes the way that he is going to destroy. It says wonderfully. Now, this word is abused today. It's used too often. Wonderful is like you are in awe about something. You know, you are wondering about something because it's so hard to understand. It's almost supernatural. And that is one of the things that is described about the Antichrist in Matthew 24 and then also in Revelation 13. It talks about him working signs and wonders. <clears throat> I want you to look at verse number 25 now in, in Daniel 8. It says, And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. Now... <clears throat> I forgot to look this up. If uh, Brother Rick, if you don't mind, maybe just searching this real quick. The word policy. I believe that this is the only time that the word policy shows up in the Bible. Maybe one other time. 
But the word policy is a word that is related to our word politics. It, it is. I thought it was. It's a word that's related to our word politics. It's like, you know, metropolitan, right? Those words all come from the same word. It's a Greek word that is like politity, basically. And it's referring to, you know, the, the rules that are given within a society. And it, it, it actually comes from a word that means city. And within cities, people have rules and laws and regulations. Notice that he is going to be a political figure. That is what this is referring to when it uses the word policy. It says, once more, and through his policy, and through his policy <clears throat> also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. So notice that he's going to be crafty. What does that mean? He's going to be subtle. He's going to cause craft to prosper. So he's going to pass laws. He's going to have the ability, <clears throat> because he's going to be a political figure, when he goes forth conquering, he is going to pass laws. He's going to be involved in politics. He's going to be making sanctions, if you will, on countries and things like that. And it's going to he's going to cause his craft to prosper. So his goals, he's being very crafty and he has, he has a certain will. He has a certain desire of things that he wants to get done and by the policies that he has passed his his sanctions that he has you know put into place or implemented he's going to cause his craft to prosper so he's going to get his way with these things he's going to slowly what's being described is he's going to slowly overtake and conquer the world that's what's going to take place now look at what it says next and he shall magnify himself in his heart now, if you remember, that's exactly what it talked about Satan doing. He, you know, Lucifer said unto himself, right? Then it says here, in, uh, uh, afterwards, in his heart it says, And by peace shall destroy many. Now, that's a powerful verse. Notice that it just got done saying that he's crafty. Remember how, how he was very subtle when he appeared looking just like the Christ, where there are just minor details that are different. But notice that when he went forward, what did he do? He brought forth war. Now, it says right here, by peace he shall destroy many. Nations and armies have done this all throughout history. Where they, they, they pretend like they are bringing peace, but actually what they are doing, it's just under the guise of peace, actually it's war. Uh, in the, uh, the book, 1984, was, which was authored by George uh, Orwell. Is anybody familiar with that? So, uh, if you remember, there were different ministries, if you've ever read 1984. There are different ministries, that, and these different ministries are like branches of the government. It's actually called ministries in the book. And one of the ministries is the Ministry of Peace. The Ministry of pre Peace. Now, I, I, I dare you to guess what they were involved in. The Ministry of Peace. Just take a wild guess, anybody. Warfare. They were the, the ministry of, it was their military, but it was called the Ministry of Peace. Now, of course, in 1984, you know, it's, you know this is where we get the, the, uh, the Orwellian nightmare. People will use this phrase, right? It's from George Orwell's books and this, this um, you know, very ominous picture that he paints of just living in, basically everybody's living in ghettos and oppression and under a tyrannical government. But they... Bring it in under the guise of what? Peace. It's the ministry of peace. That's what it is. But guess what they were involved in? War. Guess what they did? They were destroying everyone else and they were constantly going to war because this is the same line and this lie that people will pitch. And it's the exact same thing that the Antichrist is going to do. He's, gonna, he's going to pretend like and act like he's bringing you peace. He's going to go to nations that are down and out, that don't have much money, that need funds. And he's going to go to them and he's going to promise them peace. But guess what he's going to do to the entire nation? He's going to destroy them by his policies. He's going, and then 
by this also, he's going to be magnifying himself and exalting himself. Just nation by nation and kingdom by kingdom, he's going to be going forth and conquering each nation at a time by his policies. Magnifying himself you know, more so as he goes and passing policies. So he's going to be a political figure. This is huge. He's going to be a political figure. He's going to be a general that is on the front lines. He's going to be a man that's on the front lines. He's going to be a man that is in the place of and against the Christ. He wants to be like the Christ. He will eventually, of course, exalt himself above God. That's going to take place much later. He's also going to be extremely charismatic. He's going to be a man that's very, very charismatic. Uh, we'll see this further. I want you to look with me at... Uh, <coughs> um, let's look at verse number... Go to, go to uh, Daniel chapter number 11. Daniel chapter number 11 now. <clears throat> Daniel chapter number 11. Let's look at verse number 32. Daniel chapter number 11. So this is... The, the subject of end times Bible prophecy is very deep. So um, unlike usual, my sermons aren't going to go an hour and a half. They're going to go probably about 40 minutes, 45 minutes each time. Just because it's, it's, it's a lot to swallow. It's a lot to chew on all at one time. Uh, it's a very deep subject. There are a lot of details. That's one thing about the Bible with its prophecies. You know, a lot of people, they try to predict things. All of these supposed holy books that fail prophecies constantly. They try to loosely guess things. Like Nostradamus. They try to just, you know, you know put a general application on things. You've heard that before. That's what people will try to do when they, when they know that they themselves are not able to truly predict a future event. The Bible's not like that. That's what's very interesting about the Bible. Because the Bible's actually true and written, for, written by God, the Bible gives you very, very specific prophecies. If you look at all the prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not loosely stated. What book, if it's trying to just guess something, would do something like that? They're very, very specific, and there are multiple. There are hundreds of prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is the exact same way. This is one of the things why people do dedicate and devote full ministries to end times Bible prophecy because there is so much in the subject of Revelation, end times, what's going to happen in the future. So we're going to go through this uh, uh, week by week and the sermons will be shorter and they're going to be very focused or centralized on certain topics. Because of that reason, a lot of details are given to us about end times. Look at verse number 32 in Daniel chapter number 11. Daniel chapter number 11, <coughs> excuse me, verse number <coughs> 32, it says this, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. So notice that he's going to have a covenant here. And those that do wickedly against the covenant, so he's, uh, he's going to corrupt by flatteries, it says. So there are going to be people that are going to go against the covenant. It says he's going to corrupt them by flatteries. That shows us that he's going to be a flatterer, also referencing his mouth. It says, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Now, I'll tell you what that sounds like to me is that he's going to have a covenant. And in this covenant, he's going to pass a law that people are not able to do certain things. And there are going to be people that, still, that even still, uh, in spite of that, go against it. And those people are the ones that know their God and they do great exploits. Then it goes forward in verse number 33 and says this, And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. That right there is why it's important to know the events that are about to happen. Because there's a group that the Bible describes that understands. 
And what they are going to do is that group of people that understand what's happening and understand what we should be doing, they're going to instruct many. I want to be one of the ones that knows what's going on, one of the ones that understands, and one of those that are instructing many in those times. Then it says... <clears throat> Yet they shall fall by the sword and by, the, and by flame, by captivity and by spoil many days. So there's going to be mass persecution of Christians is what it's saying. Verse 34. Now when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help. But many shall cleave to them with flatteries. And some of them <coughs> of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. Now look at verse 36. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. Now here we have the quotation that actually comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 where it says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or is worshipped. That is actually quoting Daniel chapter number 11 verse number 36. And notice that it says, And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God. And then it says further, And shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods. Notice it referencing his ability to speak again. He's going to speak marvelous things against the God of gods. So who is this man specifically going to attack? I want you to notice that. This is another identifying characteristic about how he's going to operate. He is going to attack the God of the Bible. He is going to speak marvelous things against the God of gods. Yes, I realize he is going to speak against the other ones, but it singles out here and it specifically references the fact that he's going to speak marvelous things against the God of God because that's who he's worried about. That's the one that he wants to exalt himself above. So if he is going to exalt himself above the God of gods, who is he saying that he is? He is, of course, saying that he is and believing that he is God. Then it says, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. Then verse 37, more information about the Antichrist. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. Now that phrase there, the God of his fathers, leads me personally to believe that this man is going to be a Jew. That phrase is a pretty particular phrase that is used throughout the Bible to talk about the God, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is a, a particular phrase that is used to speak about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is Jehovah or the God of the Bible. I believe that this man is going to be a Jew, which makes perfect sense why the location of the beast of this centralized government where the hub is going to be is Jerusalem. And we know that this man is going to go into the temple. So notice that he's casting off the Lord, but he's still going into the temple and saying that he is God. That's the point and that is actually what is being described here. And then it specifies neither any other God. So he's rejecting the God of his fathers, and, he's and that's why right before that said the God of gods. He speaks marvelous things against the God of gods and then other gods. Now it's being restated, and it's saying that he doesn't regard the God of his fathers, 
But then afterwards it says, nor regard any God. The God of his fathers is Jehovah. I believe that to be clear. That's why this man is a Jew. That's why this is taking place in the city of Jerusalem. That's why he goes into that particular temple. And that is the hub of where all of this takes place. So one of the main characteristics about this man is that he is going to be a Jew. I believe that that is what the Bible teaches. Now, just, just to clear up some misunderstanding about a phrase here. It says, Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Then it says this, Nor the desire of women. <coughs> now, I've heard people say, <coughs> Well, that means he's going to be a queer. That means he must be a homosexual because he's not desiring you know, women. Nor the desire of women. That's not what this is saying. That's a vast misunderstanding of what this is saying. They're saying if he's not interested in women, that must be trying to say he's interested in men. If you read all of this, it's saying he's not interested in anybody but himself. It says, Neither shall he regard the God of his father, nor the desire of women, <coughs> nor regard any God. Now watch this. For he shall magnify himself above all. The point is this. He has no interest in anybody. You know who he has interest in? Himself. Now who does this sound like quite a bit? Who does everything that we've been studying here, when we're looking at the Antichrist, who does it sound like it's talking about? Sounds like it's talking about the devil, doesn't it? It sounds like it's talking about Satan. Now I want you to go back to Revelation chapter number 13. You can keep your hand here if you'd like, because I'm going to reference a few different passages to tie some things together. And then we're going to go to one other chapter and be finished. We'll conclude in this other chapter. So, <clears throat> notice that it said <coughs> he's going to magnify himself above all. So, I'm going to turn also to Revelation, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter number 14 where I read earlier. Isaiah chapter number 14. <coughs> we are given a very important detail in Isaiah chapter number 14. Now, in Isaiah chapter number 14, this is a prophecy. It, is, it, it does have an immediate application of a man. And this man is a man that is a type of the Antichrist. And I don't believe that it's a coincidence that it talks about Satan in his place. Because I believe that the Bible very clearly teaches, when you study it out, it's one of those things that maybe seems cryptic or seems uh, uh, somewhat hazy on the surface, but when you compare Scripture with Scripture, it points you to the fact that the Antichrist is going to be the devil himself in the flesh. I believe that when the Antichrist comes, that it's not just a man that has the great skill. That it's not just a normal man. It's not just a regular man that has a great mouth. I believe that this man is the devil himself in the flesh. Now, who was Jesus? <clears throat> who was the Christ? He was God in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. That is who Jesus was. He was God in the flesh. Who, now, if we were to say that, there's this, that there is this parallel, these similarities, but while also in contrast between the Antichrist and the Christ, what we would have with the Antichrist, it would make perfect sense, is that we would have pure evil, all of evil, the evil spirit of all evil spirits, Satan or the devil himself, in the flesh. That would make perfect sense. Who is it that wants to be God? Who is it that desires worship from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible? It's not just a man. It's not just some character that pops up out of nowhere in the book of Revelation. It is the devil himself. So it would not even make sense for in the master plan of Satan in the end times just to allow some man to receive all of the worship. 
Now, in Isaiah chapter number 14, I'll read that to you in just a moment. Let's look at Revelation chapter number 13. It's very interesting how this is worded. <laughs> I believe there's only one way to come out <coughs> on the end of this. It says in Revelation chapter number 13, verse number 4, it says this, And they worship the dragon. Now notice that. Who's the dragon? It's the devil. It says, And they worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And then it says, And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So right here, notice how it sounds as if they are worshiping the dragon and the beast. Right? They're worshiping the dragon and they're worshiping the beast. But let me, let me remind you of something that we read about numerous times. What was one of the characteristics that, that the, the uh, Antichrist is going to be obsessed with? He's going to magnify himself above what? Above all. Over and over again it said that he is going to exalt himself above every God. He is going to exalt himself about, above anybody. He's not going to regard anyone but himself. He's going to make sure that he's where? It, 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 it even references that he's going, to he's going to attack the God of gods. What is he interested in doing? And it's very clear. Making sure that he is at the very top and that no one is above him, and that he receives all of the worship. Now here when it's saying that they are worshiping the dragon, and they're worshiping the beast, what's taking place is that they are worshiping the dragon when they are worshiping the beast. It's just like when we worship the man Christ Jesus, who are we worshiping? We're worshiping God. We're worshiping Jehovah. It's exactly the same type of scenario. When the Antichrist comes, he's not going to allow anyone else to receive worship. He's going to go in and he is going to declare himself to be God. He's not going to allow some other person. He's not going to share this with some other person. And what's interesting is, that is the exact same thing that the devil says that he is going to do. He's not going to allow anyone else to receive worship. He's going to make sure that he receives all of the worship. I'll remind you of that. Isaiah chapter 14, verse number 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart... Now, if you remember, that was the exact same thing it said about the Antichrist in Daniel, I believe it was chapter number 9. It talked about how he, in his heart, exalted himself above all. Thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, watch this. I. Now, who is speaking? Satan, the devil. The devil said this. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Where is that at? Now, of course, it's heaven, but that is reflected also on this earth. And where is that located on this earth? The temple mount in Jerusalem. When it talks about the sides of the north, it talks about the mount of the congregation. A lot of times that's talking about Jerusalem also. Yes, it can be referring to heaven, but it's talking about Jerusalem also. And I want you to notice what the devil said himself. He said, I will sit also upon the mount of, of the congregation in the sides of the north. Do you know who that is that actually walks in and sits down in the temple and declares himself to be God? It's the devil himself. It's the devil incarnate. Now, the book of Revelation and end times Bible prophecy can be fearful to people already. But just the concept, and I'm not trying to scare people any worse, but just the concept... <coughs> 
of understanding that this is not normal times. This is not just an average evil man. This is not just this wicked guy who's involved in some sin and has a wicked heart. It's far, far worse than that. It is the father of lies. It is the father of murder. It is he, it is he you know, from which all sin generates from and all wickedness generates from. All of the wicked things that all people do on this earth, he's the one that tempts him to do it. But at this time, in, in, in times Bible prophecy, in the end of the world, what's going to take place is the devil himself is going to be born as a man. He's going to be born as the man because he, as a man because he's trying to emulate that which the Christ did. He himself wants to be the Christ. He himself wants to receive worship. And what's going to take place furthermore is that he himself, the devil, is going to walk in in the flesh as a man and he is going to physically sit down in the temple in the place where the Lord Jesus Christ should sit down. And he is going to claim himself to be God. This is what the devil always wanted to do. That's why they're worshiping the dragon. And that's why they're worshiping the beast. Because the beast is the dragon in the flesh. That's why we read about the Antichrist. He has the will and he has the desire to exalt himself above all. It's very clear he's not going to share his glory with anyone. But then we see the devil saying the exact same thing. We see the devil prophesying and saying, I am going to sit down there. But then we see the Antichrist doing it. Makes perfect sense when we compare the two. He wants to be the Christ. So it, furthermore it says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. He says, I will be like the Most High. So what is he saying he's going to be? I'm going to be God. I'm going to declare myself to be God. Who did that? The Antichrist was the one that did that. <coughs> Let's finish looking here at Revelation 13. And then we are going to... Uh, uh, Turn to one last place, as I said. So let's quickly go through Revelation 13, get a couple more, couple more small characteristics and, and uh, different uh, um, uh, identifiers of the Antichrist, and then we'll, we'll <coughs> move forward. It tells us this in verse number 3. It says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and the world wondered after... And all the world, I'm sorry, wondered after the beast... This is another major identifying characteristic. Major. He is going to have a deadly wound. He's going to go forth into battle because he's a conqueror. And there's going to be a time when this man, excuse me, is wounded with a deadly wound. With what seems to be a fatal wound. But this man is going to basically come back to life. Now, if you just had a deadly wound, if he was just shot... And then just, you know, he didn't die, but he just recovered. Does that sound like something that would cause the whole world to wonder? It doesn't, does it? But I'll tell you what would cause people to wonder is if this man actually died and then came back to life. Now, what, what is the goal and the objective of the Antichrist? Imitate Christ. He came on a white horse. Jesus came on a white horse. Everything that he's doing, he's trying to be like Christ. Let me ask you this. What is the gospel? What is Jesus Christ's greatest miracle? What is the, the, just the, the, the climax of the Bible? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not necessarily the death. You know, the, you know, I thank God that He died for my sins, but the power of the Bible tells you lies in the resurrection. So wouldn't it make perfect sense that if He wants to imitate the Christ and imitate the true Messiah, that He would imitate that which the Lord Jesus Christ receives all of His glory through. And wouldn't it make sense also that what would cause all these people to wonder would be a miracle where He died from a deadly wound and then came back to life. 
how much more if he was dead for three days and three nights and then came back to life? That is something that would cause all the world to wonder. And do you know what that would do? If this man had already stolen the hearts of all of the world, the whole world is basically worshiping this man already, he comes back to life after he's been dead for three days, and then he walks into the temple and he declares himself to be God. It may sound crazy to you now, but if things played out like that, it would make perfect sense that all the world would literally worship this man. If he had already won their hearts, he was already this charismatic man that had manipulated the people. He had promised them peace and, and, and brought them to a place where they thought that he's the greatest thing on the earth. And then he dies and everyone's saddened. And then he comes back to life. What do you think is going to be going through the minds of every person in the world? He really is who he said he is. This is the deliverer. This is God. And you know what everybody would be willing to do? Stand in line to worship him. But do you know what comes with worshiping him? It comes this mark that you got to take in your right hand or in your forehead. And all of these events playing out like this, when you just look at, when you isolate certain things in the book of Revelation, it may seem crazy, but when you put all the pieces of the puzzle together, it makes perfect sense. And you know what it becomes? It becomes very fathomable. It becomes very seemingly realistic of what, what and how the world would react in that type of situation. I want you to go to Habakkuk chapter number 2 and we're going to end there. Habakkuk chapter number 2. <clears throat> so we need to understand that <coughs> when the Antichrist comes, he's not just going to be a normal, wicked, evil man. He is going to be the, he is going to be the devil himself in the flesh. I believe the Bible teaches that very clearly. I want you to look with me at Habakkuk chapter number 2. Look with me at verse number 1. I want to end on the importance of why we need to know the book of Revelation. Why we need to know the end time, why we need to know end times Bible prophecy and be familiar with these things and these teachings. Look at Habakkuk chapter number 2. Look at verse number 1. I will stand upon my, my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me. This is, gonna, this is a watchman. This is a man that's watching and he is the one that's going to be uh, 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 the herald to the people and letting them know and warning them if there is coming trouble. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. Now look at verse number 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. So he's speaking unto the prophet or the preacher. Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Verse number 3. <clears throat> for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. You know, the Bible, I believe, in our lifetime will come to life. And there's been a long period of time where it has tarried. There's been a long period of time where, there, where you know, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Hey, this ties in with when he says, Behold, I come quickly. The things which must shortly come to pass, you think, shortly, how long is that going to be? Notice here he says it's not going to tarry. But then he does say, though, if it does tarry for a period of time. His point is this. These events will, and he, ties it, he, he concludes it this way, they will surely come to pass. The events in the book of Revelation will undoubtedly happen. Every single detail will be fulfilled the exact way with every jot and tittle the way that they were recorded in, in, in ink on this paper. Everything. 
And I want you to notice that God gave us the book of Revelation to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And it's called the book of Revelation. What does that mean? Things are revealed so that we can know about them. And the way that the preacher and the prophet is supposed to speak is what? Plainly and clearly. And the reason why it's so important with the book of Revelation is why? Is because it says that he may run that readeth it. Now that may sound a little frightening, that may sound a little crazy and you know, a, a, a little scary if you will, but that is the reason why we need to be familiar with the book of Revelation. There's, there is a time in the book of Revelation, and we'll get to this in one of the episodes, where something particular happens, the abomination of desolation. And the Bible's very clear that when you are aware of that and when this knowledge comes to you, you need to run. You need to seek shelter and you need to hide because things are getting ready to get really bad if you're a Christian. That there's going to be a time of persecution where there are going to be people that are trying to hunt you down and kill you. Where there are going to be people that are literally looking for you and trying to kill you. And God wrote down the book of Revelation plainly. People confuse it. People may get confused when you read it. But if you, if you study it out, you can understand the book of Revelation. And you can understand the end times Bible prophecy. Because the whole purpose is to show unto his servants things. He wants you to know. Things which must shortly come to pass. Why should you know the book of Revelation? Because God wrote it down plainly for a reason. It's because there's a time that's coming. And that's recorded in the book of Revelation. Where you're going to need to run. Where you're going to need to hide. And if you don't read it. And if you don't know it. You're not going to know to leave. This was given to you so that you could salvage your life, possibly, if you live during this time. So that is the reason why I would pay close attention, why I would take this very seriously in your own life. Start studying the book of Revelation. Maybe memorize the book of Revelation. You know, take this very serious because it's, it's very possible that these events can unfold in our lifetime. And there might be a time where you're reading and then all of a sudden you, you understand that, that the events have continued, as I mentioned last week, like a domino effect. And the very next thing that we're going to be waiting on is, you know, we may really have to run next. Be familiar with the book of Revelation and don't take it lightly. Understand that it's something that we all need to know. And, and I hope everyone is looking forward to the coming episodes in this series on the study of end times Bible prophecy. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much uh, for the warnings that it just shows that you love us and you don't want any harm to, to befall us, dear God. We ask you that you would be with our church here, that you would strengthen each individual, dear Lord. And... Uh, <coughs> You would uh, give us a clarity of mind. You'd give us zeal uh, and rekindle that in our hearts to read your word and to love your word. We ask you that you would send your Holy Spirit and just, just strengthen each individual and strengthen our church here. Dear God, we love you so much and be with us. Bless all the children. Bless all the families. Be with everyone in these hard times. And in Jesus Christ's name, amen.